You don't want to touch that dial because this is QSO. And here's my question. Would you like to know how to work DX every day of the world, even when the sunspot cycle is at an all-time low? Well, we've got N2BR, Bobby Raymer, coming up on QSO, and he's going to tell you how to do it because he does it every day. And we also have Charlotte Ertelt. Her call sign is K5AVX. Actually, she's up first, and she's got some interesting stories to tell all about her ham radio career. All coming up right now on QSO. And who am I speaking with here? I'm Charlotte Ertel. Well, hello, Charlotte. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We were, we, were, we were gathering some interesting stories or some tales that could be told uh, about amateur radio. And uh, Matt had uh, put up a little post on Facebook that said, have you had an interesting story or something happen with, uh, with amateur radio? And uh, right away he, he sent me your contact information and uh, I, I gave you a call. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what your call sign is, where you're located. And okay, now I'm uh, K5ABX, and my husband, K5PAW, we live in Joshua, Texas. We're not very active at the moment, but uh, we have uh, formerly been in Malawi and Kenya, East Africa, and in England, so we've lived all over the world, you might say, as, as DX, and uh, uh, we were um, missionaries and lived out in the bush, and so it was really fun to be dx back then well now uh when you you were doing you were doing missionary work and at the same time you were operating uh with with amateur radio did did you have any other form of uh, communication from where you were at that time oh yeah we had telephone most of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, but my dad is w5bcb and it was just really easy to get on once a week and, and talk to him uh on 20 meters or 15 or whatever and uh, so we had a, a schedule every Saturday uh, to, to meet him uh, on ham radio, and uh, it, it saved, I mean, it's much cheaper. I mean, telephone is expensive, especially back then. Yeah, I remember telephone charges used to be just incredible, and uh, the uh, the phone patch <laughs> was yeah, a, oh yeah, was a big deal. You know, yeah, it was like yeah. you know, and there's so many folks, especially people overseas, that were working. Uh, in the military, yeah, being yeah. able to get messages home uh, and be able to talk to people by by phone patch. And I remember when I was just a kid, um, quite a bit of publicity surrounding Barry Goldwater, the senator who uh, oh yeah uh-huh. used to run just lots of phone patches. And, That's uh, right. Yeah. Well, of course, we didn't run a whole lot of patches on that end. In fact, uh, it was frowned upon because the Brits thought it was illegal, because it is in England. Uh, to run a phone patch, so uh, we we usually didn't even need to do that there, but we could have, you know, to, to patch other people into the states. But but uh, they they didn't like it, so we never did that. But yeah, uh, in fact, my husband and I don't met um, back in the dark ages <laughs> on CW. So we've been on ham radio, you might say, of uh, all my life. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, how did you get started in ham radio? I'm just you're curious. 
Uh, my dad uh, was a ham radio operator before World War II, and then back in the 60s, he wanted to get back into it, and uh, I thought it would be fun, too. Of course, I was a teenager then, and, and teenage girls, you know, would be kind of a unique thing on, on am- amateur radio bands back then. So uh, I got my license, and, uh, and we just had something to share. It was just a real neat thing for daughter and dad to, to share. Um. Well, I'm I'm curious now. Uh, when you were there, I, I guess you, well, it was in Africa. You said, uh, "What kind of missionary work did you folks do? What was the What was the typical uh, layout well, of your your days and you, weeks?" We were Baptist missionaries, and at first in Malawi, we were bush missionaries, and uh, uh, we traveled back out into the remote areas that that uh, you know we were really the only uh, white people out there most of the time. Uh, to work on the field, and then we moved to Kenya, and we lived in Nairobi, which was extremely opposite with a big city. So uh, my husband then was in charge of uh, radio and television uh, work there in, in Kenya, and I've always taught music, and so I've, I've always taught piano and recorder and saxophone and all kinds of things. So so I, that was basically what my main interest was to teach Bible and, and music. And have lots of fun on amateur radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really a whole different world when you're DX. I mean, uh, you can't you can't know the fun of ham radio until you you're on the other end of a pileup instead of the being on this side. <laughs> uh, well, I got to actually witness just a little bit of that years ago. Uh, I, I lived up in Saginaw, Michigan, and uh, a couple of the fellows there. There was a little island. <laughs> it was just right in the, like off the Saginaw River, but and it wasn't really an island. It was just it was just surrounded by water. But they had called it Ojibwe Island, <laughs> and uh, the local hams would go over there and set up on Ojibwe Island, and they would operate. And I was over there a couple times in Washington. I mean, they had pileups. You wouldn't believe. People thought that was some exotic place. Yeah. And they, oh yeah. And of course they were. <laughs> A little let down when they found out they were talking uh, to Saginaw, Michigan. You know, why? Well, sure, yeah. But it was uh, it was a fun thing, and those guys it had is. so it, much it, fun doing it. You know, but uh, that, it that, is. It's just. I mean, it, it just kind of takes the the fun out of of hamming on this on this on state side. <laughs> well, no, you know, you're just you're just an ordinary person over here. <laughs> of course, I would imagine at that particular point in time, you had a little cooperation from the sunspots. Oh yeah, we we had no trouble uh, talking back and forth. Uh, uh, of course, you know, if if we if we did, we just turned the beam around the other way or something and, and get a skip. Uh, but uh, no, we we had some good good times, and uh, of course, um, we burned up a few amplifiers along the way, and uh, you know, it was just uh, I mean, it was just it was kind of like candy for the taking. <laughs> Well, now, let, let's talk about these amplifiers. Now, what amplifiers did you blow up? I'm just real oh, curious. I can't even remember what kind of amplifier we first had. In fact, I, I think we... Goodness. Well, I, mean, I should I, be able to remember that, but I don't. I was, uh, we, I was just curious we, if they were if they were Heath Kits or Drakes or uh, or, you know, or something along I that. wish my husband was here. I could ask him. It, might have, it wasn't a Heath Kit, and I don't think it... It might have been a Drake, mm-hmm. but... Um, I know we've got an alpha now, but we didn't have the alpha on that side, which we would have loved to have had. But uh, uh, 
you know, I know one C debut contest I was doing the uh, the coil actually melted in it, so um, we had to <laughs> just go barefooted. But that's okay; you can do that when you're five at four cm. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you know, I guess the the thing of it is, is that uh, uh, continuous operation. You probably ran your station, uh, you know, a lot more. I guess I'm going to say extended periods of time. Uh, and and being DX, you probably did. You know, you, you was probably running the amplifier at whatever its full full capacity is. So it probably got a real workout more so than yeah. anyone would have one here in the states. Probably. Well, that's true. And, and, and the story I had, I don't know whether you want to hear the story that I wrote on there, but uh, we were actually in a CW contest, and my husband and I were working it together, and. It wasn't the amplifier that quit on us. The power, I guess we burned the cable apart or something, on the power line. And we were in Nairobi, Kenya. And my husband, uh, he's also an electrical engineer, he rushed out and he saw the problem and he called the power company. And they said, oh, we'll get right on it. And we knew that that would take days, you know. We had to have this power back on. We didn't have a generator. And we were winning the contest, of course. We just knew we were. And... Uh, <laughs> So finally he said, well, if I come get you and I and I show you what the problem is, can you fix it? And they said, sure. So he got in the car and got them. They came out and fixed the the, the wire, uh, reattached it to the pole, and um, and off we go an hour later. And uh, it, it's a true story. And, of course, between that and the one I burned up the amplifier and, and the, the next contest I had, uh, I was doing by myself because Milton was out of town and, I lost my voice. This wasn't on the CD. It was a phone. So the kids were bringing me hot tea constantly trying to keep my voice. I had the, the power, the, the mic gain all the way up, and I was whispering into the microphone. But I won that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> the first yes. antenna we tried to put up in, in Malawi, uh, we had a, a, a African helper, and he had never been on a house roof, you know, roof house, or a rooftop, and Milton almost, he almost stepped off the roof, and Milton just hollered at me. He just didn't think. And anyway, we got that beam up, and so, you know, we, we put up antennas and beams every house we lived in, and, uh, you know, the, my my dad was our QSL uh, manager, and he uh, he kept the QSLs going most of the time, but we'd get them, you know, from Europe and Australia and other parts of Africa there and, and where we lived, but it it was... It was uh, we had, we we got we could write a book. <laughs> well, you maybe you should. That might be a real interesting. Uh, uh, we just did an interview here with um, the gal that wrote the uh, the history of Ten Tech, and she's written some ham radio novels. Uh huh. And I, I thought that was pretty good. So we we cooked up a deal, and we we've got folks uh, uh, invited to write us uh, amateur radio short stories. I mean, they fiction even. You know, just. Uh, you know, a, a, oh, uh-huh. a neat, a neat little short story about amateur radio. That would be, uh, you know, it's one of the things I think we're kind of missing a little bit. Got to get. Th- we'll be right back with our guest Charlotte Ertelt, K five AVX. Right after this, it operates twenty through ten meters. It's stealth. It will keep up with any three element beam and any vertical that you have on your property but if you can't have a three element beam or a vertical on your property you can still have a tw2010 it is stealth it disappears we tried to take pictures of it and we had to move the thing around 
because it hides so well. There is no compromise in performance with this antenna, and it's portable. You can take it with you on vacation. It's, uh, it's quite unique. They make several flavors of this antenna, however. If you want to operate 80, 40, 60, 30-meter band, it's all there. Go to their website and check it out, transworldantennas.com. That's transworldantennas.com, and check out the special pricing right now. H1N1, if you haven't given it much thought, you need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Here at QSO, we've got something new, and that's a prize closet. And we are in the process of filling that prize closet up. And we're going to be telling you on the air some of the items that we've got in the prize closet. If you'd like to win some of these things, we'd love to see you do that. But what you've got to do is send us an email. Go up to the website, tedrandall.com or qsoradioshow.com. And when you go to that website, just simply send us an email. Say hello. Tell us where you're listening, how the signal's coming in. If you're listening by podcast, Tell us how you have joined this radio show. And then put a little note in there that says, I want to win. And we'll put your name in the hat, and we will have a drawing twice a month, and we're going to be giving away what's in our prize closet. Now, I can't tell you everything that's in there so far, but we'll be posting those items up on the website, and we'll be telling you about them on the air. But don't miss out. Send us an email and put in that email, I want to win. And let's see who the lucky winners will be. And now, ladies and gentlemen, QSO returns to our guest, Charlotte Ertelt, K5AVX. These uh, uh, amateurs to use their imaginations a little bit, a little bit more. Well, this day and time that everybody's doing computers, and uh, of course, you know, we we tied that in to com- to uh, satellite radio when we lived in England. And we we did the satellite radio there, or my husband did. I never did get into that too much. I was still just doing CW. But, but uh, you know, it's really kind of lost the excitement because you can get on the chat and talk to anybody all over the world. And, you know, why bother taking a test? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, I, I guess the thing is, is that it's still, um, if you take the radio away from it's like our radio show. Okay, now we're on... Uh, we're on WBCQ, we're on WRMI, we're on, um, uh, and, and there are some other uh, shortwave stations that run us from time to time. And, you know, we're, we cover the world on shortwave, and we're also uh, on iTunes, and we're on Zoom in the form of a podcast situation. Of course, you can go to our website and uh, download 
all of the QSO radio shows in the form of MP3. And I get emails constantly from people telling me that, you know, they they download the podcast and they listen to and from work and and, and that sort of thing. But but if you subtract the radio side of it, remove the radio side, then it just becomes a podcast. And there's a million podcasts out there. Uh, it, and I think with amateur radio, I mean, there's a lot of computer, there's a lot of um, online chat rooms and a lot of websites and a lot of blogs. And, of course, now you've got Twitter and, uh, and of course, Facebook is, is, a, is a cool thing. But if you take the ham radio ingredient away from that, then there's really nothing unique about it because it's so commonplace today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at least that's <laughs> that's my way of thinking. Well, t- tell me a little bit. I'm curious about your dad. You talked about your dad, and, and yeah. you got into ham radio. You know, tell me a little bit about his ham radio story, how he got into it. I'm sure you heard a little bit about Oh, goodness. He was back in the, what is it, uh, Scap Arc? What is it? Uh, Scap Arc. No, what was it? Arc Scap? <laughs> the spark, spark Gap. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was way back then. Uh, and he, he actually just got on CW, you know, when he was a teenager. And then he got drafted after he married my mother. And, uh, of course, during the war, they took all the hams off. And um, so uh, he really hadn't got back into it until, um, actually, I had been called by a boy on a phone patch. And he said, hey, how about if we get our ham license together? And so, of course, he he already had a, a license, but he had to get a new one. I'm not sure what his first one was. But he got his uh, phone license uh, while I was still uh, uh, KN5ABX. And uh, so he beat me to getting on the phone, on the microphone. And, uh, but even though I, I, I still had just about as soon get down there on the CW. And, and, uh, uh, but Dad and I would put up the antennas together. We bought our, we bought our heat kits together. We built them together. And we... We assembled the, the uh, wonderful station. I can still remember that every time we grounded it, it would shock me. And, um, you know, little stuff like that. And I wouldn't take for it. He's still alive. He's 90 years old, and he's still got his station out here in Joshua. He's probably on more than I am. And uh, he's just, he, he's been active on the 7290 traffic net here in Texas area. And um, it's just, you know, he's just been a ham his whole life too <laughs> well that, that that's interesting so he actually operated uh spark gap yeah uh that's amazing um you know and of course i guess those transmitters are outlawed today i don't think you can even run <laughs> one know. you know <laughs> i'm sure there is somebody's vintage collection <laughs> but uh but, but but that's cool when you think about the way those things were built they were so simple and uh and, and well, they, and he's really he's really done really well to keep up. He's on a, he has his computer, his Mac computer, and he's he's he do, he's got a computer and his ham station set up side by side. And uh, oh, he's a little slower to, to keep up with all the software. And he he does he calls and you know we have to go over there and figure out what some problem is. But he does really really well. He just um, he's just uh, he used to. I don't think he's got a mobile rig right now. But he's always, uh, you know, been very, very active. And uh, we have a cattle cycle club here in Fort Worth that uh, he used to be uh, very active in and I think was president of that once upon a time. And 
anyway, so he's, you know, it's, it's just been a really good social network for him. Well, now, is he, is, is he online? Is he on Facebook, book, and Twitter? No, no, he cannot get DSL. And uh, I have, and the only way he could get it was through satellite, and he doesn't want to pay it that much money for it. So he's just on dial-up. So, no, he's not. I'm not sure he'd know anybody. Um, you know, it's getting harder and harder him to find friends <laughs> his age. Everybody's gone on. <laughs> yeah, I would, ima- I would imagine uh, that that is one part about uh, about getting up in years. I am sure that is um, very, very taxing on a lot of people. I know the uh, fellow that introduced me, basically, that showed me the first amateur rig I ever saw in my whole life was a fellow who was up in years with him, Nelson Cosby, up in uh, the Detroit-Dearborn area. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things that I heard him talk about to me when he were, we were doing a radio show is he said that, you know, all of his friends are gone, you know, yeah. and he, he remains. And uh, they had a little two-meter net up there in Dearborn, and they would check in every morning to make sure everybody was still there, you know. Um, so, I, and that, you know, th- that part of it, I, I guess, is not, you know that's one of the sides of it that's not as um i guess i want to say intriguing uh well i think that's where uh probably his interest has shifted to email and he tries to keep up with grandkids and great grandkids you know through email because they're not ham radio operators and it's just much easier you know to do it that way so yeah it's it's um it's something that i guess we all will face but uh you know uh He's, he's got he has some some friends that are a little bit younger than him that are still on and and some of them that remember him uh even five years ago he was on every single day on the net and uh they still remember him but uh my goodness he doesn't sit still long enough to to get any new friends he's he's up chopping trees and and moving things and uh, he just stays active I'm sure that's why he's still alive. Well, you know, I, other thing too, I, I think that as you as we as we get older, uh, staying on ham radio and staying active, I think is a is a good mind thing. Uh, oh yeah, because yeah, that's true. I, I guess Thanks. the thing I fear is sitting still long <laughs> enough and nothing challenging the mind, nothing new yeah. to learn, and I think that that's where um, to me that would be a a bad thing to, to be able to keep up. You know, it's like right now. I mean, if you think about it. Uh, the other night, I, I checked. <laughs> I went into uh, to Facebook and uh, and I, I was just looking around to see who was there and you know and, and who had uh, left something on the uh, on the wall or whatnot. And um, I, I got I got uh, a fellow in the chat room popped up and said hello. So I typed back to him and he said, "Let's get on Echo Link." And I said, "Okay." So I got on Echo Link with him and he was in South Africa. And uh, it was a kind of a, it was an interesting thing, you know. But he was signing his call just like he was on the air, yeah. and uh-huh. uh, and I and I thought, well, you know, you can't reject this technology. I mean, there's a lot of folks. Oh, well, this is not ham radio. Well, it, I think it is ham radio. It's yeah. it's you know everything changes. Everything changes. Nothing mm-hmm. stays the same, yeah. and and that gets a little frustrating at times because you kind of like to to uh, and that's one thing that's I, I think so cool about CW is you're able to. You know, you're 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 right in the basics of things, you know, and yeah. it's uh it allows you to do something that you're used to doing, that you're comfortable doing, you know. Well, you're never going to forget it either. I mean, you may not want to use it, but I don't think anybody ever. I mean, especially somebody like me that that could, you know, I didn't ever write it down. I just copied it, you know, and um, 
the only time I couldn't copy it was when I figured out that somebody switched over to a machine and they were going, you know, 200 words a minute, you know. <laughs> but that wasn't fair. But that was that was a sign that times were changing. Even when we were using Morse code, it was uh, we were shifting over to uh, mechanical um, senders and uh, instead of, you know doing it yourself. But you have to you have to realize, yeah, you like you say that things that hobbies change, and uh, they've got to have the technology incorporated in it. And I'm thinking that we'll probably get back into amateur radio more after we retire and um, uh, have time to say, hey, where do we leave off? You know, because we're just too busy and we're just uh, right now just taking the easy road out and getting on Facebook or email or whatever. <laughs> well, it's it's quick, you know, and, and it does take a little time uh, on, on the air. In other words, in, in most folks today, if if we ha- we suffer from anything, we just we suffer from from lack of time. You know, I mean, there just isn't enough time to do. I don't know. It seems to me like, and maybe I'm wrong. It just seems like there was more time available back a number of years ago. You know, it seems like there's less time available today. Now, is that just me? <laughs> no, it's not you. Uh, uh, people are, are too busy. Uh, they don't uh, take time to eat. They rush through that. They don't take time to, to sit down and do anything together. Uh, you know, no wonder we don't know each other, uh, much less our neighbors, uh, our own family. But uh, we don't uh, we don't take time to sit down and, and just have a, a, a conversation with a total stranger like I'm doing with you right now. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I think it's it's. Um, a problem today for people to actually, I've had parents to tell me they, they were afraid to not keep their child busy all the time or they'd get in trouble. Uh, well, goodness, you know, that's no way to do it. Uh, you've got to be with your kids and, and, and play with them and, and do things together, talk to them, and don't just throw them into a sports game every night. And, of course, I'm teaching piano, and, you know, they say, well, let me tell you why I don't practice, and they'll go through their whole list of six days, seven days a week of things that they're doing, and uh, that's uh, that's really a pattern that our our parenting uh, needs to to shift to to parents to just uh, ask somebody else to entertain your your children. So, uh, and of course, I think hobbies like amateur radio or even doing computers together uh, would be a better solution than just. Uh, Know, putting them in some kind of activity every single night. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about that. I mean, uh, I, I guess, actually, to tell you the truth, um, I get a little irritated being around people that are so activity-oriented. I mean, you can't really get to know them. You can't talk to them. I mean, they're always running in some direction, somewhere. And, uh, I, you know, I wonder sometimes, what in the world does that accomplish? What, what are you getting done? You know, I mean, you're, there's a lot of motion, yeah. <laughs> a lot of time spent here and there and yon. But, uh, you know, are, are you really getting to know your kids? Are you really actually sharing anything with them? Or are you just meeting deadlines and appointments all the time? And I, I think there's an awful lot of that. Um, right. and, I, and, I, and I guess that's, you know, sometimes I just, I, I enjoy... Just putting the brakes on and saying, you know what, I am. I'm not doing that today. I'm. I'm not going to go to that meeting, and I'm not going to go to this tomorrow. And uh, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to stay home. <laughs> and, 
yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, but now kids today, uh, they, they get planted in front of, uh, of a video game. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and some of the other things that are computer-related. And I guess I, I kind of question that, too, is I wonder how much is left. You know, like some of these bloody games that they play, and I say that I'm not talking about that from a British standpoint. I say bloody games. I mean literally bloody games. Yes, I understand. They, they are, they're racing down the street in a car, careening off the, the, the sidewalks, and they shoot people, and there's blood and guts all over the street. And how much of that can enter into the mind of a child? Uh, over a period of time without it having some sort of a, of an oddball. Well, it does. It fears their conscience to where they, they would have no trouble doing it themselves someday if they needed to, perhaps. But you think, oh, well, what if they just wanted to? And, of course, I know 90% of them are not going to do it because they have enough um, Christian ethic to, to say that it's not right. Uh, but what about the 10% that doesn't, that, that it's just um, uh, their parents have just give them anything, let them watch anything on movies, and you're right, they just become saturated by evil, and they don't, they can't um, judge, they make poor choices on spur of the moment. And, uh, well, the other know, thing, the other thing, too, is the child's imagination. Now, and let's talk about ham radio for a minute. Okay. Uh, can you imagine, um, can you imagine the amount of, um, I guess I want to say creativity over the years that's gone into ham radio that uh, has sprung out of the minds of, of amateur operators, especially younger people, uh, much the same way that it sprang out of the mind of, of Thomas Edison. You know, and, and we look at our, our, our cell phone today, yeah. um, which came completely and totally out of amateur radio and repeaters and and, and that sort of thing. So I, I guess m- my point is is if if you park a child in front of a computer and let them play video games unlimitedly mm-hmm. like so many have, uh, I don't think that leaves the, the child much chance no. to, be, to become a creator of, of, of new technology and Well, things. let's compare that to the generation I grew up in. And if you wanted a ham radio equipment, as a teenager, and your parents were not in ham radio, you got a schematic, and you went to uh, salvage uh, stores and bought the parts and made your own. Uh, I know my husband uh, had made his own amplifier, and he and his one of his college projects, and um, he went to UTA uh, for the with his electrical engineer degree. One of his projects was to build a mobile transmitter. Maybe it was a transceiver. I think it was a transceiver. I don't know what happened to that, but we still got pictures of it. And uh, But he did that for his project in university. Um, that happened very, very common. I mean, to have homebrew equipment was considered uh, normal. Uh, if not homebrew, then we had Heathkit and we built them. And... Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, they they learned as they were building this equipment, and uh, a hobby uh, needs to be something that will feed the mind as well as the the soul and the spirit at the same time. And to give them something back instead of just sitting there uh, absorbing uh, somebody's idea of entertainment that is doesn't do anything but just waste their time. 
We'll be right back with our guest, Charlotte Ertelt, K5AVX, right after this. H1N1, if you haven't given it much thought, you need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. How many of you would like to operate 80 meters, but you can't because of antenna restrictions? Well, that's over. You can operate 80 meters right now. You can operate from... Your home, your apartment, you can take it on the road with you. It's the brand new Transworld Antennas 8080. Go to their website and check it out, transworldantennas.com. This is a portable antenna, but it can be a permanent antenna. It's stealth. It's not a low-profile antenna. This thing is a performance-driven piece of engineering. You need to see it. It will be at Dayton. And you need to hear one of these on the air. If you want to operate 80 meters and you can't... I love the 80-meter band. I can't imagine not being able to operate on 80. But nonetheless, if you're in that position, don't stay in that position. Go to the website and check it out, transworldantennas.com. Go up there and take a look at their brand new 8080. And look for it at Dayton. At QSO, we've got a new prize closet, and we've got some interesting things going into that prize closet. Be sure and write us and send us that email that says, I want to win. Put that in the text somewhere in that email and go to our website, qsoradioshow.com. That's qsoradioshow.com, and send us an email. Tell us a little bit about yourself where you're listening, how the signal's coming in, or if you're listening by podcast. But be sure and put on that email, I want to win, because we're going to have some really, really neat things to give away. We'll be putting those things up on the website and telling you more about them on the air. Be sure and don't miss out. Send us an email and put in there, I want to win. Go to qsoradioshow.com. That's qsoradioshow.com or tedrandall.com, R-A-N-D-A-L-L. And we'll look for your email. And now, ladies and gentlemen, QSO returns to our guest, Charlotte Ertelt, K5AVX. Uh, you know, and, and I guess the thing of it is, is one thing we have learned, uh, and, the, and that is, at least I, I, I feel I've learned, and that is, you know, my two sons are now radio engineers. They're both hams. I've told the story a thousand times on the air, so I know no one wants to hear it again. Um, but we're finding especially through the QSO radio show, that young people respond extremely well to ham radio. They just need to find out about it. Yeah. And the biggest downfall right now, as far as amateur radio is concerned, and that is 
us us older folks are not making it interesting. In other words, not that we have to make the hobby interesting. Uh, let me rephrase that. Because I had a nine-year-old that has her extra class license, can't recall her name right now, say, it doesn't need to be changed. It's interesting enough as it is. We just need to take it to the streets. We just need to tell them about it, expose them to it, let them see it in operation. And that was one of the biggest problems when I was young. Uh, I had never. The, I, I recall the very first time I ever saw amateur radio in operation, and that's what made the dent. You know, that's what said, "Hey, <laughs> I, I want to do this." You know, oh, I want to. Yeah. I want to get in the in the middle of this. Um, and I don't think there's enough of that right now. Um, and I and I I, I think that. Um, uh, amateur organizations, we respond well, and we, you know, and I'll, now this is the soapbox I'll get on. We do all this emergency stuff, you know, and I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but I get emails every day where people say, "I'm tired of hearing about emergencies. Can we have some fun?" And uh, and I, and I happen to agree with that. I think that every, you know, too much of one thing is not good. Mm-hmm. And I I think we we need to show. We need to show the younger folks the fun side of ham radio, what can be done, the the the, the technological side of it, and the opportunity. Well, I, I think you're right. I think the even the uh, the individual clubs have a, a big responsibility uh, to uh, to attract young people into it. That's one way we used to do it uh, back in the 70s, 80s. Uh, we would uh, uh, have classes, you know, for licenses, and... Uh, and teach them about DXing and the fun parts. And, uh, you know, we'd have transmitter hunts, and we'd get out and try to find the transmitter on Saturday. And, uh, you know, we were very disappointed when we when we moved back to um, from, from England this last 13 years ago and tried to join a local amateur radio club. And they, uh, they just didn't have any programs at their meeting, and they just... Uh, wanted to have a little report, and then they'd go to the Dairy Queen. Well, that's not a ham radio club. That's a social club, and I can get that on the computer. Uh, so you've got, to, uh, you've got to stay active in inventing things that, that youth want to do, uh, whether it's looking for a transmitter or, um, I don't know, I'm, prob- I'm probably out of what, what happens, but uh, maybe a DX contest or... or um, Whatever they just need to, to, they need to know how to build equipment and uh, um, you know put it together and and have uh, have fun at it. You're right. Well, you know, I I recall <laughs> I was I like a lot of people. I you know I started off with a citizens band radio and was on CB and uh, I I remember the first time I wandered into a gentleman's house and I and I was listening to two meters. And uh, that's the first time I had ever heard of heard a, a rig, you know, on two meters. And uh, uh-huh. uh, now he was using older Motorola commercial equipment, and it, I believe uh-huh. it was broader banded than what we yeah, have. Yeah, I today. remember those. We had one. And it, uh, I listened to that audio, and I thought, "Wow, does this sound good?" You know, I mean, it really <laughs> did. You know, and of course, I was used to listening to that Citizens Band radio. And we were in the middle of the sunspot cycle, so it was constant heterodynes and squealing. Oh, yeah. and, you know, people yelling. Of course, we weren't blessed with echo mics back then. I, I've, I still don't understand the fascination with these echo mics. I hear them, mm. <laughs> hear them on the on the radio every once in a while. Yeah, I, I, uh, 
and I, and I and I listen to um, uh, I I still listen to uh, actually Channel Nineteen when you're on the road. It's sometimes very very helpful to uh, you know to have that thing um, uh, ha- have the radio on. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh huh. Yeah, we listen to that. Uh, but but anyhow, but but to make a long story short, the um, uh, the two meter rig sounded so good. That audio sounded so good, and I said, "Wow, you know, I would really like to listen to that all day long. I'd like to talk to people that sound that good." You know, so a lot of times it is, I believe, the um, how, how do I want to say it? It is the um, um, the doing. You know the demonstrating part of it. You know yeah, being oh, able to see true. it yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, that gets the interest of the other person. You know, and, and and I think with young people, that's the whole key to it. I think being able yeah. to open up a notebook uh-huh. and bring up Echolink and log into a repeater somewhere across the country. It doesn't necessarily have to be DX. I mean, just you know. Oh sure, yeah. A, a repeater across the country and talk to somebody in their automobile or on an HT. Oh yeah. And, well, you know, we kind of, we've kind of. Um, uh, tricked our kids into ham radio because they had listened to it all their lives, and mom and dad were big hams, and and they, you know, they just really they wanted to get their license, but they someday, you know. And uh, our daughter is the oldest, and she was uh, uh, would just come back from Africa, and she didn't know anybody. She's trying to find a job, and she's going off to Baylor University the next semester. And we told her, okay, I tell you what, you can either go to work and. Or we could we'll just pay for your whole summer and we'll pay for your your car and your college if you get your ham radio license. Okay, well that was a given. She was going to get the ham radio license. She got her license and struck off to to Baylor. And of course, I'd talk her back and forth um, uh, on the on the radio, and which was really good, especially when she had a wreck once and mom was right there. Okay, here comes our son four years later. Well, you know, you've got a 16-year-old son. And back then, I think at 16, they could get their license. And uh, he wanted his license his junior year. Um, and instead of waiting for his senior year, we said, okay, if you get your ham license, you can have a car and you can drive it to your junior year, or you can wait till your senior year. Well, so he got his license. And again, you know, it was just really neat to to stay in contact uh, with him uh, to check in. Of course, that was before cell phones. And, and again, everybody's probably saying, okay, now you, you, you decided you don't need it because of cell phones. That's true. And uh, I think cell phones, they say, uh, cause a lot more wrecks. And we, you know, we never had one wreck because we picked up the microphone and talked. There's something different about ham radio in the car than your cell phone. Maybe it's just because you're talking one sentence and letting somebody else talk for a while instead of just holding it up to your ear constantly. But um, it, it was it was for their safety and as our communications that we got. That's not the end of the story. Our daughter was um, through Baylor, and she met, she had met her future husband, and he came to ask for her hand. And my husband said, not until you get your ham radio license and you get a Macintosh computer can you have my daughter. And he had, done, he had them both in about three months. Wow. <laughs> so he's a ham radio operator. We don't have any more in our family yet. But, you know, we keep thinking we're going to get some more. It's about time for our, our granddaughter. She's 14 to get her license. So, And she's a talker. I wonder who she gets that after. But anyway. <laughs> It, it does. It it keeps the family connected, 
in a way that is a little more personal than a cell phone. And uh, I wished I could say that my husband and I have two talkies that we could talk right now. We don't. That's one thing we've got to work on. Our talkies are old, and um, uh, we've got to work on that situation. And we do plan to get uh, some mobile, more uh, uh, HF equipment in in the uh, the truck, because we we are also RVers now, so... We're going. We're planning on one of these days hitting the road with that that uh, rig in the car and, and talking again. Uh, when your husband first got into ham radio, did, did, was any of his family members into into amateur radio? No, no. Uh, in fact, it was just a friend of the family that took him aside and uh, you might say mentored him. Uh, uh, his folks had had uh, divorced uh, just about the time he was eight. I think he was about 14 when he got in, 16, and uh, a really fine man, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, pulled him aside and uh, taught him all about the electronics, and uh, he got his, his license uh, with this fellow's help, and um, it made extremely a lot of difference in his life because not only did he end up being an electrical engineer for years, and then, of course, eventually the, the Lord used that in and missions, and uh, um, it, it just seems like it, it's, it's, it's been a thread all through his life. Uh, the electronics part just keeps coming back in. Of course, you just love it, and he's just a natural uh, with fixing things. It's a gift that he has. He can, he can just uh, look at uh, some equipment and know what's wrong with it, which has helped immensely when we were in, the, in, in, um, in Africa. So uh, uh, he's just... Um, He's he's just uh, he's just uh, he's my technician. <laughs> I'm the I'm the talker, and he's my technician. You probably guessed on that already. <laughs> well, don't you? I mean, don't you think too? The other thing that's really cool about it, and I, especially when you talk to someone like yourself that's been a missionary in Africa, and and you you used amateur radio extensively, uh, you know, in your in your stay there, uh, the conversation end of it. Uh, allows you to meet people of all different cultures. Yes. Uh-huh. And especially if you can engage in a rag chew with them, you can really learn a lot. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Um, uh, we had we had Africans. Not a whole lot of Africans were actually on amateur radio. Uh, but we did have a lot of Brits, the British folks, Australians, uh, uh, a Swede, all kinds of, of dear friends that, that I can't even find on Facebook right now because I don't know enough about them. Uh, but we got to be family. We would, we would get together for picnics, and, um, you know, it was just we, we were uh, uh, almost as close as the missionaries were, you know. And, of course, I always told people I didn't come to socialize with missionaries. I came to socialize with other people, and that's what my husband and I tried to do was just uh, get out and know other cultures and other people. But uh, that that part of it um, cannot be duplicated uh, on Facebook or email because you don't you already have to have the relationship before you start. Uh, you can't even have friends until you you know them already. And um, the ones that I am finding uh, that uh, are living overseas uh, uh, are very I already know them. I mean, you're not going to make any new friends on it, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, the other thing, too, that's interesting that a lot of folks don't realize 
And and I, I, I didn't really know this until I spoke with the folks at the Texan Radio Company over in Beijing. And that is they emphasize, uh, they make like 30,000 radios per day, little portable receivers. Um, there's a lot of parts of the world at this point that still have absolutely no Internet access. And also, um, the Internet access they have is very limited. You know, it's slow dial-up may not be in all parts of the, you know, in in, in, the, in a country somewhere where you've got to go down to a, a local establishment or store somewhere in order to be able to get online and use it more like a computer that is a community um, access point, you know. Uh, so, you know, amateur radio still has the ability uh, to get into those areas as well as shortwave radio uh, and provide service in those areas where, where the Internet just doesn't go. And uh, I, th- I think that's very, very, I, I want to say that's intriguing. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder if, we, if there was so, some way to tell exactly you know, what portions of the world don't have Internet access. Uh, but, but according to the folks that I talked to over there in Beijing, they say it's a significant portion of the world that does not have inter- oh, yeah. Internet access. We live with no. it every day. It's like running water in our house. I mean, yeah. we take it for yeah. granted, you know. Yeah, there there are lots of uh, people in the world that uh, probably don't even have electricity, much less Internet. Um, of course, they, they would even have trouble having an amateur radio. But there, but there are villages out in Africa and probably Asia that have electricity that can't get cell phone or uh, DSL, much less dial-up or anything. You're right. So... Um, I think probably it would be excellent if people would use that either in uh, social networks or even as a mission outreach uh, for, uh, for missionary work. Good grief! You could you could have uh, uh, lessons for for people to to learn their uh, to get their license, and that would connect them to the world. But yet, it would also you know reach out to them uh, for the church. So there's all different ways of of, of spreading it that that probably haven't even been touched. Uh, you know, it's, um, uh, I know when we were when we lived in Africa, it was uh, it was almost a mystique to have amateur radio, um, much less that big antenna. I have to tell you a story about the very first about the first week or so we moved into a house in in Malawi, and um, my husband was out of town, and we had just put up this big beam. And there was somebody that was trying to break into the house. I could hear them, and our dog was barking. But I, you know, <laughs> tell folks it's not going to do any good. They don't have any cops can't come. They don't have any cars. So I was opened up where we had the amateur radio, and I, I don't know what I was thinking about trying to call somebody or not. But it struck me that if I just turned that beam around and around and around, it might scare them away, and it did. Oh my goodness! So that's <laughs> they were gone. They heard that big old beam up there. They had no idea what it was, but they were out of there. <laughs> well, I guess if if someone, especially if you didn't know what it was, and all of a sudden that antenna started turning, yeah, uh, you know, you might expect flashes of lightning to come off that thing and get you. You know, well, they're, they're, they're just. <laughs> there's so much that you know that 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 other people in in our in our world don't have the advantages that we do 
and uh, they they don't um, they don't know electronics. They don't know. Um, goodness, they didn't even know what my piano was back then, and uh, it was just such an honor to uh, to live among them and a responsibility to introduce them. And uh, uh, I look back on it as, as as probably the most interesting, exciting time of my life. And of course, there were there were difficulties and. And, um, yeah, we did, we were taken off the air in Malawi at, at one particular time. I think they're back on now, but we were taken off. Our equipment was taken up, and we did get that back. But, uh, you know, a lot of people just didn't understand what we were doing. And, you know, so it's, it's educating uh, the people to, um, to, uh, to raise them, I guess, if you want to raise them up. I'm not even sure, going back to our previous conversation, maybe it's not so good to be pulled into our society. <laughs> they ought to be left out there with just um, a campfire and, and the family sitting around talking. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, sometimes you wonder uh, who has the advantage, you know, in, in those situations. Uh, but when, now, when you had your equipment taken away from you, what was that all about? Was that a government thing, or how, to, how did that work? Yeah, it was... Uh, it was back in the Cold War, and um, I'm not—I can't even recall it. You ought to be talking to my husband about that. Um, it was something about they didn't understand—they just didn't understand amateur radio operators being able to communicate with all peoples, um, Russia or any place. And like I said, it was back during the Cold War, and they—they um, they just. Um, they didn't understand it was a hobby. You, there's no way to explain it. Um, they they just didn't want people talking to people. They wanted to be able to control it. And um, so, um, and I, I'm sure they're back on the air. I, I'm pretty sure uh, that was. Um, um, I'm trying to remember my. Well, call you know, there's back. a lot of a lot of countries that were very much afraid of amateur radio. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they would not even. Al- that's why seven two seven. That's where we were. Uh, in seventy seventh world, so uh, um, yeah, they were just. Uh, I would. I mean, you could call it ignorance, but it's just. It just, they just didn't know. I mean, it was not. They were trying to hurt us or anything. In fact, they were very kind about taking our equipment away. And the main thing we wanted was to get the equipment back. We could survive without the ham radio, um, and which you know you absolutely can. But uh, uh, we were very delighted to to go moved to Kenya, and of course they 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 didn't have a lot, but they had uh, maybe ten stations on when we were there, and uh, most of those were Brits, and they stayed well out of American bands because <laughs> they didn't <laughs> want to talk to those pileups. <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah. Well, of course, you know, with the amateur radio going in a lot of places, and there's no telling how many how many amateur stations have been on ships and. Uh, Amateur stations oh, yeah. located on islands out somewhere. Uh, you were talking about you know countries that don't have electricity. Matter of fact, that was one thing the folks from Texan told me that not all of China has electricity, uh, and that uh, but but they still have their portable radios, yeah. and uh, that's uh, that, that's it. That's really interesting. Uh, of course, their economy is changing radically over there, and uh, all kinds of things are happening in, in a lot of countries around the world. I know we talk about the fact that we're in an economic depression or a recession, but then if you stop and look back the way it was 30 years ago in some of those places, uh, they've come a long way economically and socially and everything else. And, well, it's uh, all, all relative. I mean, we used to say, uh, you know, uh, in fact, when we took 
language study in Kenya, our teacher would not let us say that we were not rich. I mean, you know, you'd think that leaving as a missionary, you traditionally think missionaries are not rich, which most of them, comparatively to most Americans, are not. But our teacher would not let us say that we were poor, because if you have more than one pair of shoes, you're rich. And I, I guess one thing that I really like about amateur radio in that in that light, in that is, I, I we did a show uh, last week and we were talking about QRP, and the fellow was on from the uh, New England QRP Club, and he was talking about these little QRP CW kits that you can get for like sixty dollars. It's a complete yeah. transceiver. And uh-huh. you put an antenna up, and you're talking to the world, you know, on yeah, a sixty dollar uh-huh. radio. So I mean, yeah. uh, and and the thing of it is, is that uh, regardless of what position you are in life, uh, and you think you've got it bad, there's always somebody that has it much worse than you. So count your blessings. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking and telling well, the story. You're welcome. And uh, in regards to the power company, uh, the story, you know. It, it's o- only hams can do those kinds of things, you know. It's like, you know my, my my son works um, uh, works for uh, the Dave Ramsey organization, and he's their engineer, and they call him MacGyver because even in this world of state of the art everything, there's always some situation you get into that mm-hmm. you got to use some bailing wire. And, That's right. That's it. So they they well, call. It's, it's been a wonderful experience. So uh, we wouldn't take far. We're looking forward to many more years, especially after we retire. Really get back into ham radio and shaking the bushes. Well, I appreciate the time you spent, and uh, I, I appreciate talking to you and and hearing about your dad and your husband and uh, and all that. This is a very very interesting story. We'll have to have you guys come back and talk some more at some oh, point. Oh, great! Well, you need to talk to my husband sometime. I'll, we'll have to get him on. There you go. That'll that'll okay. work. In this day and time, what we don't have much of is time. And if you enjoy operating and you just don't get a chance to, you need to take a look at the Trans World Antennas TW2010 and all the models that operate the different bands. Go to YouTube and put in Trans World Antennas and see how simple this thing is to set up. I mean, it is easy. It goes together fast. And, of course, that gives you more time to operate. You're not fussing around with an antenna. In an emergency situation, it is absolutely necessary. You need to have one of these, if not for yourself, for your club, or whoever it is that may get called out on a scene where you've got to operate and you've got to be able to set up quickly and efficiently. Go to their website, and that's transworldantennas.com transworldantennas.com there's a link up there to youtube and you can see how quickly this antenna sets up how easy it is to operate transworldantennas.com if you're the decision maker for any form of outdoor lighting you're going to want to listen to this the light pack systems induction lights manufactured in the usa by a severely disabled workforce uses a unique physical principle of light generation this lamp system is therefore classified in a new family of sources the light pack induction lamp systems light pack induction lighting is a breakthrough for professional general and special lighting applications not only because of its high luminescence and efficiency but especially because of its unprecedented lifetime system lifetime is rated at 100,000 hours or about 20 years based on 5,000 burning hours per year 
with a failure rate of less than 10%. With this unmatched durability, LightPak offers substantial savings in direct maintenance costs as well as indirect costs. Induction lighting is relatively new in the United States, but it's proven technology developed in Europe over 20 years ago. Therefore, claims of durability is based on real-world empirical data, as opposed to estimated design life provided by competitive lighting technologies such as LED. LightPak Systems was founded on the principles of green solutions for modern lighting through strong partnerships with the U.S. military, the University of Central Florida, and several national energy service companies. LightPak offers lighting solutions that provide a better quality of light with a 66% energy savings. Also, lasting up to five times longer than standard lighting options. LightPak's quality shines through with their standard 10-year warranty on all products. Call today for your free demonstration. Go to their website, lightpacksystems.com. That's lightpacksystems.com, spelled L-I-T-E-P-A-K-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S, lightpacksystems.com. H1N1, if you haven't given it much thought, you need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Here at QSO, we've got something new, and that's a prize closet. And we are in the process of filling that prize closet up. And we're going to be telling you on the air some of the items that we've got in the prize closet. If you'd like to win some of these things, we'd love to see you do that. But what you've got to do is send us an email. Go up to the website, tedrandall.com or qsoradioshow.com. And when you go to that website, just simply send us an email. Say hello. Tell us where you're listening, how the signal's coming in, if you're listening by podcast. Tell us how you have joined this radio show. And then put a little note in there that says, I want to win. And we'll put your name in the hat, and we will have a drawing twice a month, and we're going to be giving away what's in our prize closet. Now, I can't tell you everything that's in there so far, but we'll be posting those items up on the website, and we'll be telling you about them on the air. But don't miss out. Send us an email and put in that email, I want to win. And let's see who the lucky winners will be. Well, with me is, is Bobby Raymer. And uh, Bobby's call is N2BR. And uh, he's located in, in Tennessee. And, you know, right now, you know, of course, everybody complains. They're saying well, the sunspots are, we don't have any sunspots. And the bands are in horrible shape. And we're just not making any contacts and all that kind of thing. And then here, I get an email from uh, Bobby or relayed from uh, uh, someone from Bobby where he's worked some rare DX location somewhere. 
And, and this seems to be going on almost on a daily basis. So now the, the, the question is, is we, we've got to get into this guy's head and find out what he's doing and how all this is happening. Because uh, <laughs> I hear all these people say, oh, the bands are dead. Nobody's on the bands. And then, uh, and, and then Bobby turns around and works somebody. How, how is all this going on, sir? How are you doing this? Doing fine, Ted, and good to, good to hear from you. Well, I don't really have any special secrets. Uh, I only run 100 watts, uh, and my antenna, I guess my antenna is, is the main thing. You know what they say, you can have a, a $10,000 radio, but if you ain't got a good antenna, it ain't going to work. Uh, of course, I don't have a $10,000 radio. But I use a, a, a TW2010, which is made by Transworld Antennas here in Coopville. And uh, I have a 30-meter add-on and a 40-meter add-on, and, and that's it. Uh, and I tune around. My favorite CW. I mean, I do work a little phone from time to time, but you will find me on the CW bands uh, 90 eight percent of the time and i just i just tune around and listen uh and and listen for the you know uh some stuff and i check and and i've lucked up here uh lately uh i've been a ham almost 25 years and i've never hit uh some of these some of these rare uh countries and islands that that i've been hitting here lately uh, it's just it's just been unreal. Well, uh, uh, tell me, uh, why don't you? Um, I don't know if you keep a log, if you have a log handy. Um, but I was going to say, why don't you give me kind of a rundown on some of the stations you've worked, let's say, over the last month or so? Well, let's see. I worked. Uh, I worked several. Uh, I'll start. I'll start by January of this year. I don't have my logbook handy. Uh, laying here in front of me where I'm at now. But I've, I've worked Vietnam. I've worked uh, Laos. I've worked Cambodia. I've worked a station in Beijing, China. Uh, a station just south of Seoul, South Korea. Uh, I've worked uh, 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 Cook Island. Uh, I heard Reunion Island on the other day, but there was a pilot on them, and I just couldn't get I couldn't get smothered in between them. Uh, and let's see, I worked uh, a station in New Zealand just uh, the other morning uh, or the other night on on seventeen meters. I worked them on phone, uh, which is kind of rare at nine o'clock at night. Uh, I don't know. I worked. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of other countries, you know. Of course, Europe. Uh, I've covered Europe pretty good, uh, and uh, I, li- I like to work the islands. Uh, I've kind of got in the in the habit and uh, interest in, in working a lot of the islands. Uh, Andorra. I got Andorra uh, the other day. I've been trying to work uh, uh, the. Uh, Fox Tango Five, but uh, they're just—I don't know. They're sometimes you, I just can't get in between them. <laughs> you know, when you run 100 watts, uh, 
it, sometimes you can do it in a pileup, sometimes you can't. Just depends on conditions. But um, I'll say Australia, uh, I've worked, uh, oh man, there's, there's some other islands in the South Pacific that I've worked. Uh, uh, I, I can't, my, my brain just don't want to function too well, but I've covered several, several good islands. And I'm talking, you know, uh, in the morning hours and in the late evening hours. Uh, it's when I, it's when I get out during, during the day after 10, 11 o'clock till about four, I just, I just won't turn radio on it because there's no band conditions to me there. Um, well, let me ask you this question. You say you run a, basically a hundred Watts. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, what I ought to do is I, I ought to let you go. I ought to let you just go get your, your log. If you, is your, is your log too far away to go? To go no, I can I can get the log. I'm on a cordless phone, so hold on. Just let me get this oxygen thing off here. Which is, uh, it won't. Because uh, I was going to say, it I, take I, me. I, I, I worked uh, another uh, one I stuck it up, which is kind of uh, it, it, it's pretty rare in my book too. Uh, I think it's pronounced Tubaloo. Tuvalu, Tuvalu, um, that's an <laughs> island out in the South Pacific. Goodness. And uh, some friends of mine said that was quite rare. So, uh, let's see. I worked Eglin Island. I worked uh, uh, Vietnam the other day. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's called... Uh, uh, trying to pronounce, figure out how to pronounce it, but it's an island in in Vietnam. It's uh, AS one sixty two is the island. I worked Saint Paris, uh, Chatham uh, Island, uh, Slovenia. Let's see, go back through parts of August. Uh, let's see, most of these are. So you work Market Reef. Uh, Macedonia, uh, Gibraltar, St. Helena Island, uh, Siberia, uh, French St. Martin, and, uh, and the Netherlands, tu- uh, Tuvalu, T-U-T-U-V-A-L-U. Uh, was a D- I think it was a D-Expedition. Uh, of course, Caraca. There's a island too. It's uh, it's K O R O R P A L A M Island. I hadn't. I forgot about that. Tango eighty eight. That was a good island. That guy had a good signal. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've worked the Aleutian Islands, uh, Georgetown uh, Aleutian Islands. Uh, Kuwait. I worked a station in Afghanistan here back in August, uh, which was a shocker to me. I didn't know where he was at until I looked the call up. Uh, I worked Nigeria, uh, let's see, San Domingo, um, Iceland. Uh, <laughs> I can keep on Indonesia. Uh, 
of course, I've got a lot of states worked here, too. There's the U.K. Um, let's see. I think that's a contest that I worked there, six meters. I, I usually get my six meters and my contesting uh, kind of uh, planted in with my uh, my regular loggers, Thailand, uh, Hotel Sierra Zero, and uh, let's see. Come on back through. This is. Uh, I'm just, I'm just letting him rattle off, folks. I'm just sitting here listening. Uh, so <laughs> I could probably rattle. There's Belgium. Uh, work Snake Island. That's a that's a new island that that they come on there with. And, the, and this is in a sunspot low. We we're in the lowest sunspot period we've ever had. And 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 just listen to all this all this all this DX's guys working. Doesn't it make you just ill <laughs> well you know that's that's the what i can't understand is you know you get on the air and you get up in the phone band and gee a lot of times i don't hear nothing Ted, i've had i had to go outside the other day and check my antenna to make sure the antenna was hooked up and you know the band were just so bad and i get that in the cw and that's where i stay uh, there's canary islands uh uh um, here is uh, uh, Crypt Island. It's Charlie uh, Charlie Six that I worked. Uh, of course, uh, I worked probably about all fifty states. If I sit down and got all my QSL cards together, I'd probably have uh, WAS about five times uh, <laughs> over the years. Uh, let's see. There's, well, just uh, just just recently, though, you know, in, in in the areas we got we got folks saying the sunspots aren't here, the bands are broke, and all that, and that, and I'm just saying you're looking at your log, and this is all what you're talking about is contacts within the last say 60 days. You know, I mean, you're not even. Yeah. I mean, this it, is not this isn't like a two year ago log. I'm talking in the last 60 days while everybody's been complaining about the sunspots. Here's what you're you're doing. So reiterate again that you're running 100 watts of power, right? And uh, I, I'm you know I'm not trying to push radios, but what what radio are you using? Well, I'm probably uh, running the cheapest line they got. It's an ICOM 718, and it's a hundred watt radio. It's not uh, you know those that are familiar with the 718. It's not a fancy radio. It's a good radio. Um, it's a good solid radio. It's a real good solid radio, and it's only a hundred watts. That's that's all it does is a hundred watts on uh, on phone and CW. But now there's and, a there's a there's a mod. <laughs> Somebody was telling me there's a mod for that radio. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you're running a hundred watts on an ICOM seven eighteen, and then you're running the uh, uh, the TW twenty ten uh, portable antenna. Um, now, what bands are, are most of these contacts on? Most of the contacts that I'm working them on is uh, 20, 30, 40, and in the CW portion on 17. Okay, now how, how much, I guess I want to say, uh, how, how much is, well, kind of divide that up, 30-meter band, 17-meter band. Where, what, what seems to be, you know, the... the the most regular and the hottest band in order to, if you wanted to establish contact on a regular basis, you know, without having to, to, uh, I found it, uh, 
20 and 30 to be, that's where I've made most of the uh, contacts that I worked uh, was on 20 and 30. Now, do you do you think that 17, the situation with 17 is, is that the band just hasn't been open, or do you just think it's a lack of activity? Well, I think it's a lack pretty much of activity because just the other night I was on uh, – there's there's some of us locally, we get on 17 at, at night and talk, and, and it was dead. I mean, we were just talking locally, and we heard no activity whatsoever. And after we got done, I was tuning around, and I went up to 18150, and uh, I heard a station in uh, New Zealand calling CQ. And that was rare. I heard nothing, no signals anywhere else on the band. Uh, and I hear this station in New Zealand. And I went back to and we talked for, uh, oh, we talked for quite a little bit. Well, and I- it was just like I had a dead shot, you know, that, you know, I had a, just a direct path between me and him. And he, there was nobody else there. And, uh, I could tell right as he was, as we were clearing out and he was, uh, doing his final, his signal kind of, uh, kind of fell off pretty quick, you know, as the band finally closed out. But uh, I think it's due to, a lot of it is due to not enough activity on the band. We'll be right back with our guest, Bobby Raymer, N2BR, the man that works DX every day in spite of sunspots, right after this. It operates 20 through 10 meters. It's stealth. It will keep up with any three-element beam and any vertical that you have on your property. But if you can't have a three-element beam or a vertical on your property, you can still have a TW2010. It is stealth. It disappears. We tried to take pictures of it, and we had to move the thing around because it hides so well. There is no compromise in performance with this antenna. And it's portable. You can take it with you on vacation. It's uh, it's quite unique. They make several flavors of this antenna, however. If you want to operate 80, 40, 60, 30 meter band, it's all there. Go to their website and check it out. Transworldantennas.com That's transworldantennas.com And check out the special pricing right now. H1N1. If you haven't given it much thought, You need to start now. Go to h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. Look at the menu and go to H1N1 Flu Tracker Map USA. You can see exactly where the H1N1 virus is breaking out. It may be in your community already. You can order the Flu Blocker Influenza Kits today. They contain all the necessary personal protection, equipment to help guard against the spread of the influenza virus within your work, home, and school environment. These kits contain fever strips, a protective N95 mask, disinfectant surface wipe, antimicrobial hand wipes, and a tissue pack. The H1N1 virus is here, so don't delay. Order your kits today at h1n1kits.us. That's h1n1kits.us. And now back to Bobby Raymer and to BR. The man that uh, works DX every day in the bottom of the sunspot cycle with his TW2010. 
You know, I, I've noticed that all of a sudden, you know, you, the band be just dead, you know, and then all of a sudden, here comes Field Day. Right. And man, they're all over the place, you know. So I, I, I tend to agree with you. But now, okay, let's talk about operating procedures because obviously you've got a good antenna system. We know the 2010 is a good right. antenna. Uh, and the ICOM 718 is a good little radio. There's no doubt right. about that. Great, a, a great rig. Uh, boy, especially for the money. You know, I mean, there's, right. you can't argue with that radio. Um, I, I guess my, my question is, is your success in this has got to be a lot due to operating technique, the way that you're going about it, what your expectations are, the times you're operating, and the, the choices of, of band and, and whatnot. And then, but, but just the, the actual uh, operating technique itself has got to be uh, a good portion of this. So why don't you kind of give us a primer, uh, folks. Now, first off, you have to turn the radio on. Doesn't that isn't that a requirement? You got to turn it on. And, yeah, and, if you're going to work anybody, you got to turn it on. <laughs> okay, you so. know, uh, most radios, uh, the ones I've seen, have an on and off switch. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, and, and 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 then and then you have to, you know, you you get on the band and you cannot tune up and down the band and listen and say, whoop, the band's closed. Let's get out of here and go do something else. In other words, you can't go by what you hear right away. Right. Okay. So, 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 tell me a little bit about how you go about it and 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 how it is you wind up making these contacts. Okay, I'm gonna switch phones real quick because this one might go on me. It gets switched here. Okay, was, you hear was, me now? I can hear you fine. Okay, good. Well, a lot of times, most well, most of the time, I'll turn on. Radio and and I'll go around uh, on twenty or thirty and just more or less checking the you know the band and the propagation to see you know where it's coming from and uh, a lot of time I'm not a real speed demon on CW so you know if you're running twenty five to thirty words a minute uh, you can forget me <laughs> uh, but. A lot of times, I just I tune away from a lot of that stuff, um, and I'll just kind of get in there to a part and just park, and and I'll be reading my email and I'll start hearing somebody calling CQ. You know, a lot of times it's stateside, and a lot of times it's uh, a, a good DX station will pop up there. Uh, a lot of times I'll just sit there and, and and call CQ myself. I'll just find a quiet place in in the corner. Uh, away from uh, a lot of uh, other activity, and I'll sit there and call CQ for a while. Sometimes, you know, uh, you don't expect a station to come right back to you. Uh, I have sat calling CQ for uh, 15 minutes, 30 minutes or so, but uh, usually it's paid off. And if I'm tuning around and I hear a, a, a rare call that I that I want to work, and if there's a kind of a pileup on him, uh, I'll write down the frequency as to where I'm hearing him at, and I'll tune off and go do something else on the bands for a little bit. But I'll keep a check back in that area and, and see, because if the activity kind of quiets down, I mean, 100 watts, I, I, it's amazing what I've done with 100 watts, but, you know, you're not going to just most of the time, 
uh, sing your call out and they're going to come back to you. Because I consider myself QRP compared to the kilowatt stations that are running on the bands. But that, that's how I do it. I just, you know, I, I just take my time. I don't get in no big hurry and, and, and I'll find a, a place and, and I'll park for a while. And, and, and that's what I do on sometimes when I'm in the, in the notion to work, uh, phone. I'll just go into a certain part of the band away from a, a lot of the other stations calling CQ, uh, where I think something may come in and, and I listen. Sometimes I hear some, uh, DX start calling CQ and I'll work them. And of course, sometimes I, you know, I don't hear nothing except uh, atmospheric noise. Well, now, but, when, when you do call, that, that's how I do it. When you do call CQ, uh, how long is your call usually? I mean, how long do you make the call? How long do you listen? How often do you call CQ? You know, and, and I mean, give me a little mechanics on this because. You know, I don't know how many guys really know how to call CQ properly. <laughs> I'm not so sure I know how to do it. Go, go ahead. I'll call CQ, I don't know, probably, it probably takes me two minutes at the most, maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. And then I'll, you know, I, I pause and listen. I'll sit there and listen probably uh, a minute or two. And then I start calling again. You know, I always leave a long enough pause in between calling CQ. Uh, that way, a lot of times, a lot of people won't, hams won't just come right back to you because they're looking your call up to see where you're located. And, uh, and I found that to happen several times. I usually leave, I, I try to leave a long enough pause in between so if there's somebody there, that's trying to come back to me that I can hear them. And, you know, they may be uh, a weak signal trying to come in. And you know how bad conditions are. You'll hear them one minute and the next minute you don't. And uh, I, I just, uh, I take it, uh, you know, I just kind of take it easy. But remember, and I'll put this out, don't send CW no faster than you can copy. <laughs> Because if you can't copy it at five words a minute and you come back to me at 20, I'm going to come back to you at 20 words per minute. <laughs> that, I've had that happen several times. But just remember, guys, if you if you uh, don't send over any faster than the speed that you can copy, because if you're sending it at 20, somebody's going to come back to you at 20. You know, if you're running 13, I'll come back to you at 13. But that that's a that's a major key too. Of course, a lot of guys are using computers, so it doesn't you know it doesn't matter to them, but it matters to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess that's always been the rule of thumb. Don't don't transmit a twenty minute CW or twenty words a minute CW uh, right. uh, CQ and and then expect somebody to come back to you at ten. You know, because it's right. Chances are they're not, and you're going to be going whoa. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess uh, the other thing, but I, I have had it happen to me the other way, and I send something very slow uh, because I'm wanting to make a, a slow CW contact. Some guy come back on a bug just flying, you know, and yeah. I mean, I, I to me it's just noise. I mean, I don't understand a word of it, you know, and, uh, but I, and I don't know what that's all about. So I guess that's the reverse of what you're talking about. Right. It's, you know, uh, I've worked some... I've worked some contacts where they were running a bug, and I've heard some very good operators running 
running bugs. I mean, I could copy with no trouble. Uh, to me, a bug is hard to to learn. I, I, I just never could learn uh, to use a bug. Uh, I use uh, Lambic Paddles uh, Adventure, and I love them. Uh, a very good close friend of uh, of mine, and uh, he was my QSL manager. And uh, I got I've got DXCC on forty and on mix, and he was my QSL manager. And we was at a ham fest one time, and I started to pick up a. I was looking to buy uh, some new. Uh, new paddles and uh, he said no he said you don't want those he said you want something that will last and I said well okay I can't afford them others well before he left he walks up and hands me a box real heavy and uh, he says I'll see you and uh, of course that's the last time I got to see the guy alive he, he died shortly after with cancer and I opened the box that when I got home, it's a brand new set of Venture paddles. And I, I, that's what I'm using today is those paddles. And I've had them for six years. And uh, I hadn't wore them out yet. <laughs> they still making contacts. But this, this guy was, that's all he ever did was CW. He, he, if he worked phone, he didn't work much. But he was, he was a very active uh, CW operator. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, when you're working uh, rare contacts, he said the main thing to get is the call sign, make sure you get their name and, if you, can, you know, location, and a signal report. He said that's usually the main the main things. But this guy could sit there and do 35 words a minute, chew bubble gum, talk to you and watch TV at the same time and still know what's going on. <laughs> and, and, I, and write very little down and... You know, I'm just, I'm not that, that good. I have to write my stuff down, but, uh, he was, uh, he was a very good friend and, and, uh, he was a merchant marine. And, uh, I told him, I said, well, I guess you got to work a, a bunch of pilots. And he said, man, I was a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's, I, I learned a lot from him and a cousin of mine that, uh, uh, was a ham operator that kind of got me interested in amateur radio at the time, and that's how I enjoy got into CW. Um, I was going to say what um, uh, in, in getting into ham radio when you first got into ham radio. What what was your first exposure to it? I mean, what was the first time you ever saw amateur radio in operation or even realized what it was? Well. In 1964, that was just a few days ago, uh, my dad uh, uh, worked on small engines and stuff at the time, and uh, a cousin of ours, I didn't, I had never seen the guy before and didn't even know he was a ham operator or anything, I called him when my dad to come up and, and check a mower out for him. So dad said, I'm going over and you want to go with me and I went with him and uh, cousin showed me uh, his uh, his ham shack he he worked on t- uh, televisions you know that was the days when if you had a TV to go bad you just pop the cover off and find the tube that was bad put a new tube in it and put the cover on it and he was back in business watching TV 
And uh, he was really good uh, with electronics. He built a lot of a lot of stuff from scratch. And uh, he uh, he showed me his amateur station. And he and and this guy never operated phone. He he never operated phone. It was strictly CW. Uh, he had a Hamberlin receiver, and a Johnson Viking transmitter. That was his ham station. That was the first ham station I ever seen in my life. And I kind of got bit by the bug at that time. And uh, he built me a code oscillator, a tube code oscillator. As a matter of fact, I've still got it somewhere in a box here. And that's what I learned my code on. And I would go over all once every other week or a month when he wasn't busy and uh, he would give me some practice. When I learned the code, when I learned how to send the code and, and, and copy it, when I would go over, Ted, that's the only way he would talk to me. And when I answered his questions, I had to send it back to him in code. And, uh, that, you know, if I spoke up in voice, he wouldn't need to ignore me. <laughs> he would a- point to the key. And for an hour, uh, that's the only way we communicated was with that uh, uh, straight key and that tube code oscillator. That's the only way that we uh, I could we communicate. And what it was, he was asking me questions that was on the test or in the book. Of course, back then the the handbook, the novice book was was real thin. It's not as thick as it is now. But uh, he would ask me questions that I would have to answer him in CW. There was no voice communications at all. It was strictly CW. And that's that's how I got into it. And, of course, I, I was young then, and I had other interests that come in. You know, I got to liking the female side and and dating and stuff like that as I got uh, a little older. Uh, I got into shortwave listening. I was a shortwave listener for several years, but uh, I never forgot the uh, the code and, and the uh, and amateur radio. And uh, in 1984, a friend of mine called me and says, they're giving a, a novice class at Tennessee Tech. And he said, you want to go? He was interested in getting his license. And I said, sure. So we went to this class at uh, Tennessee Tech that the Amateur Radio Club there was sponsoring. And uh, we went through the code and and the theory and stuff. And I got my, my novice ticket. Matter of fact, I went to the mailbox on January the, the 22nd of 1985 and pulled out my novice ticket in the mail. Matter of fact, I called in work, told them I was taking the day off <laughs> just to get on the air. I could, I had that ticket and I could fire that radio up. I had a, had a Johnson TS 520. That was my first HF rig. And I stayed on CW from the time after I went to the mailbox until I got tired at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Working CW, Ted. 
And, you know, how it was back then, that's all we had as a novice. We didn't have, we didn't have any kind of phone privilege at all. It was all CW. You know, 10 meters, uh, 10, 15, 40, and 80. That's, that's it. We couldn't operate 20. And we couldn't operate. Uh, yeah, we couldn't operate twenty because, and we at that time we didn't have the wag band, and uh, it was uh, it was strictly CW. And I had a ball. I loved it. I was a novice for a year and a half, and I had more fun. To be honest, Ted, I'm an extra class, and I've had my extra class ticket now. I don't know, probably uh, ten years. Uh, well, I'll take it back about 14 years and I had seemed like I had more fun when I was a novice because you know I was restricted but the bands were just wild back then you know they were you know anywhere you went on the bands there was there was activity and Ted I've worked I've worked ham operators from uh, 8 years old to, to 97 years old and I've had a ball I I, I I love it. You know, it's I eat and breathe it. It's just, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Well, you know, back in that time, the novice license, you were limited to 75 watts input. Right. And that license was not renewable at that time. <laughs> right. Um, so you had about a year on the early novice tickets. You had a year. And it seems like they then made it two years. They went from one year to two years. And then they raised the power to, I think it was 250 watts or something like that. Right. But uh, the original novice ticket was 75 watts input and uh, just a very small portion of CW on the bands that you could operate on. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, all, all you could do, there was just a little spot on on 40, uh, 75. Of course, 10 meters, you... Uh, I've got now exactly what the the band. I think it was twenty eight one to twenty eight one fifty on uh, on ten because uh, this has been a few years ago and uh, seemed like it was. Uh, uh, I was trying to remember for it. Seemed like it was seventy uh, seven point one to seven point one fifty on forty. And, you know, of course, back then, there was a lot of activity on the band. Uh, when you turned the radio on, it was, you know, there was there were stations there. Uh, and, and to me, the activity on, on amateur radio is kind of, I don't know if the people just don't have time to get on or if they just don't have the interest or, or what now, but it uh, seemed like you hear more, more people on working uh, contests than, than you do, you know, uh, through the week, or uh, when there's not a contest running, and you know that's that's really a shame. I, I'd like to see, I'd like to hear more on, because you never know when the bands are are open because nobody's operating. That, well, that's another thing. I was going to say, people complain about the bands. Maybe they should complain first about the fact that <laughs> that's nobody that nobody's operating. You know, um, right. the the other thing um, uh, I, I was going to say is that. Uh, is it just me? I'm going to ask you. Is it just me? I, I get on, and, and a lot of times I'm tuning 80 meters at night, and I will call, or I'll, I will go down the band, 
and I will go into the CW portion, and I'm looking for a QSO of any kind. Just sit and just listen to. Uh, a lot of times, I don't necessarily like to transmit. I like to just listen to guys converse back and forth in CW, and um, and there's nobody there. I mean, not one single CW station on the air conversing with anyone. And, I, and I, I've had this happen, I don't know how many times. I mean, I know the antenna's working. I know that's fine because I go up to the phone portion, and it's a lot, of, a lot of QSOs up there. And I can jump in and say hello, and they give me a good signal report. I go back down to the CW portion and listen, and no one home. Now, ha- have you heard that, or is that is it is it just me? <laughs> no, it's not just you. I've heard it. Uh, I, I don't know, Ted. I, I, I don't know. If, like I said, I it seemed like the interest of amateur radio were losing. You no, know, we're losing it. And it, and you know, if we don't get on the bands, if we don't get on there and operate on the bands, we're going to lose them. You know, it's just plain and simple. If we don't get on there and 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 start on the bands, we're going to lose them. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. Um, this has been kind of a pet peeve of mine uh, over over a while, and that is that. This is one of the things I think that that click operating has done, and of course it's more notable noticeable, I guess I want to say, in the phone bands, and especially, especially on VHF on two meters, and 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 whatnot. There there is this I don't know what it is, but if you're if you're passing through town, somebody's computer just came on. That was mine. Uh, if you're passing through town and you're on a two meter uh, machine, it, it almost uh, some of these guys act like they get mad just because you're in there talking. And boy, don't ever try to rag chew on two meters. Right. Uh, what is that all about? Do you have any clue? I mean, I've been trying. I've been asking questions. I've been asking about this because I don't understand it. But do you have any idea what that's all about? I don't know. I I wondered about that myself. Uh, you know. Up in this area, uh, where I live, there's not much activity on two meters at all. But they don't, uh, uh, most of them won't shun, you know, shun you or tell you to get off the repeater. Uh, I've been through areas that, uh, I mean, they just shut the repeater off on you. And, uh, or they tell you, you know, get off. Um. I don't like the idea of that. I mean, I think amateur radio is, you know, if I'm new passing through an area, uh, I don't think they should cut the repeater off on me if I'm, you know, I may need directions or help something, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's just an odd uh, uh, one of those things, I guess, I think. You know, the thing that, that really gets me, Ted, with with amateur radio is you get on uh, some of the frequencies these guys think they own it that oh that burns me up <laughs> and I, I and and i've been known to and and i've done it michael just you know dr barrett just sat there shake his head and laugh and grin at me uh i would be on course i'd be using my call but and I'd come across some of those, and, and I'd just say, hey, you lid, you know, it's, you don't own the frequency. Uh, that just, oh, that that gripes me, and, and, you know, a new ham gets on, 
and he gets, you know, he, you know, how, you know how it was when you got your ham ticket. And I know how it was when I first got mine. You're excited. You want to get on. You want to make some contact. But I've heard uh, hams just really run new people down, and and I don't think that's right. I, I really don't. I just I think we ought to be there to to help them. Uh, any way that we can. Um, well, so, I mean, I, I've been exposed to a, a few things that really just uh, really got under my skin, and that was one day in particular I happened on a certain repeater, and I won't say which one it was, and there was a fellow on there uh, doing a, a, a Skywarn thing, and, um, you know, I guess he had a net up, and I was listening. Well, it went dead for a while. I mean, there was no talk at all on the air for, I would say, a good portion of three, four minutes, maybe, maybe five minutes, nothing. And uh, some gentleman jump, jumped in and just checked into the repeater, just gave out his call sign. And this net control guy came back and says, we've got a net in progress, and I mean just dress this guy down from top to bottom. And then we, we went to another three or four minutes of dead air, and some guy from up in Kentucky checked in and and he got dressed down as well and uh so that irritated me so i wrote an email and uh i i just said we don't we don't need to be so mean why can't you just say you know um station please stand by there is a net in progress there's a weather net in progress why can't we just say that why do you have to dress somebody down on the air like they're an idiot you know um I mean, I've done it. I've turned the radio on and, uh, you know, kerchunk the repeater to see if it's there, you know, and it's there, and wait just a second or two and then and then sign my call. Well, I mean, I would have no way of knowing unless I listened for 15 minutes, and nobody does that. I don't care what anyone says. No one sits and listens for 15 minutes before they key the mic and get on. It just isn't done. Right. And uh, there, there, there's uh-huh. that kind of activity. Um, once again, I won't mention call letters, but one gentleman running a bunch of, uh, the young fellows off of, uh, of the UHF machines, uh, or the, 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 the linked, uh, 440 machines because they were talking and, and, uh, these, these are young guys that had their ham tickets from the blind school here in Nashville. And they were told, we don't want you talking on here. The national weather service is listening and they don't want to listen to all your chatter. And, you know, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Well, you know what? If there's not a cloud in the sky, it's a hobby. Right. Okay? And I don't know. I mean, you know, you you see things like that, and then if you're on a two-meter machine and you're talking to someone, yes, I've been out of town. I haven't ever had this happen in in our area except a long time ago. Um I remember one time I got on the machine here in town. I'll just tell you which one it was. It was the 8-8 machine. I don't know who had it at the time. And I was kind of new to the area, and I got in, and I asked, does anyone know what the Florence repeater pair is for Florence, Alabama? I was heading to Florence. And this guy came right on. He says, you're not a member of this organization. You need to get off this machine right now. So I went back on to apologize. I said, well, I'm sorry. I had no idea. And he said, evidently, you didn't hear what I said. And he hit the tones and shut the machine off. And I thought, what an infant. What a freaking infant, you know. Really? And I I guess, uh, but that kind of behavior 
is getting more and more prevalent. Uh, where people it's are really, uncalled for, really. They're so proud of their closed repeater systems and all this kind of stuff. What are they going to do when they wake up and there's an announcement that says that all amateur communications will cease on this frequency because this particular amateur band is being deactivated for another service? What are they going to do? They're they, they going to... They gotta, Go to the U.S. government and go to the other service that's going to be taking over two meters or four forty or something, and get in there and and uh, and tell these people what they're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I was in. I went back a few years. Uh, well, few, more than a few years ago, uh, into a state, and I was. You know, I had a two meter radio. And I could chunk the repeater, just like you're saying, to see if the repeater's there. And uh, this voice ID, and this is the first time I ever heard a voice ID come across the repeater. Man, it was the it was the sweetest, the sexiest voice I ever heard. I thought it was real. I thought it was real. And uh, I went back, gave my call again. Well, this uh, this ham that was uh, listening came on and he was laughing and he said uh this fools a lot of people and he said this is a repeater uh animated voice id and uh i said him i said if i'm on a closed repeater i'm sorry and he said well he said it's actually he said, it's a club repeater he said it's actually actually kind of closed but it's not we don't uh you know we don't run you off if you're passing through and and uh you know he said uh, if we can help you in any way if you need a uh, a phone patch made we're glad to do it and i talked to this guy all the way through through the town and pretty much uh, way out of the area on uh, it real nice and he said well next time you come back through he said be sure to go down there and give us a call and you know it's the same uh when i traveled a little bit i'd go into areas well, yeah, they're you know they had a closed repeater, but they was glad that you were, were on it, and yeah, we'll help you any way we can. And that's the same way with uh, uh, the repeater that I hang out on. Uh, there's not hardly any activity on it, but if I'm listening around, I'll come back to you. It, it, there's no auto patch on it, but I'll be glad to make a a call for somebody that needs uh, you know coming through that needs some help and. You know, I, I've always been that way. I've never tried to shun anybody, whether I worked on, on HF or where I was talking to them on, on 2 meters or 440 or, or 6 meters or, or CW. Uh, hey, it's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. If I'm going to shun you or I don't want to talk to you, I'll get rid of my ham stuff and put up my, get me a business band license and, I could sit there and talk to myself all day long. Well, see, I, I don't understand, and I actually I disagree with the entire concept of what is considered to be a closed repeater. Now, I understand that there are people uh, that, that want to put a machine on, and there's a lot of expense to putting a machine on the air and maintaining it and all that kind of thing. And I know there's some folks out there that are just, you know, lids for the most part, and, and they're a pain right. if they get on a machine. Uh, they'll they'll wear you out. But by the same token, um, it's a hobby, and it is a hobby that belongs to 
the general public. It, it, these frequencies are not owned by people. And I, I don't, it's a privilege to operate. It's not a right. You know, you don't have a right to a ham license. You don't have a right to a frequency. And so I guess, you know, whenever the FCC assigns you, uh, you know, uh, gives you a license that says, okay, now you own uh, 146.940, that's your frequency, that's your assigned frequency, you know, and, uh, well, then it'll be different. But that's not the way it works. Right. And uh, I, I, I guess it, it just leaves me kind of wondering, I mean, once again, this is a privilege. And then why is it, I mean, what is the problem? Um, with with folks like you said that treat new people bad, treat do they not just new people? They'll treat anybody bad. Right. Um, it doesn't it doesn't promote the hobby. It doesn't promote goodwill. It 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 degrades the hobby. It it makes amateur radio look really bad. And right. uh, I I mean I I like I said I don't get it, but I I guarantee you that I could I could probably turn a radio on right now and find a a, a repeater somewhere. And get on and strike up a conversation with somebody, and before it was over with, I'd be told, "Well, you know, we don't like people rag chewing." Uh, yeah, or they're set to repeater up on you. You know, you know, it's like, <laughs> we don't like people rag chewing. Well, no, what, I, could probably, what a, I could probably name a few repeaters myself, not far from here. <laughs> well, I mean, my, <laughs> and, you, and that's like you know the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> well, you know, I, I may and may not. I, I don't know because I'm not that active. That's one of the reasons why I'm I'm just not on. Uh, VHF much at all. I just don't operate up there, uh, uh, and, and it isn't. There's anything wrong with the with the mode. It's nothing wrong with the frequency. It's just that uh, I like to rag chew. That's what I do. I, I enjoy it. It's like this radio show. I like putting hams on the air and talking to them and finding out all about them and 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 talking about interesting things. And I really just don't have the time for these people that think they're better than everybody else and. Right. And uh, they they don't want you. They're going to put this machine on. They don't want anybody to talk on it. They don't. You know, it just you know, get it off the frequency. If if it's not right. if it's not available you know, for the general that, public, shut that, it off. That's, that's why a lot of times I get in a, in a discussion, either at a ham fest or um, I've taught several technician classes, and we'd get in a discussion about CW. Well, I don't want to operate CW. I want to operate phone. Hey, that's fine. They, you know, that's the thing with amateur radio. You know, you got sideband, you got CW, you got slow scan TV, packet, Amtor, and so on. Nobody's going to, you know, just be loving all of them. Uh, I mean, some do, but, you know, my favorite CW. And, you know, I. People to me, and I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking anybody down uh, or trying to make fun of anybody. But my point of, of of CW is, and it's like getting your ham license. If you want it, you'll study for it, and and you'll get it. It's not going to be handed to you. You know, you had to learn how to drive. You had to go take a driver's test. And if you failed, you had, you know, you got a chance to go back. And if you passed, you got your license and going on. <laughs> but, you know, I've had so many people say, oh, I can't learn that stuff. I learn it. And I, I'm, I sit there in the same shoes as a lot of them. No, I don't, I don't want to learn that CW. 
I want a microphone where I can talk. Uh, I just I just can't learn it CW. CW is like learning to walk. If you learn how to walk and you got a driver's license, you can learn CW. There is a rhythm to CW. To me, it, there is. Uh, and I had it took me a while. I didn't learn CW overnight. It took me about a year to learn it. And once I got into that rhythm, uh, you know, I hadn't fell out of it. Yeah, and there, uh, I, I think there's two different processes with it too. Because sending CW, I think you use probably a different part of your brain than you do listening right. or interpreting CW. And I don't think a right. lot of people realize that it. it's easy to send 35 words a minute. <laughs> well, like, right, then it's like, hard to sit there and copy if you're not. If you're, you know, it amazes me. Some people can sit there and do 35 and 40 copying it. I can't. I can't. You know, it's just a. It's just a, uh, uh, just kind of a big chatter to me. I, I, I can't pull it out. Uh, well, the, the the copying of it is a lot more difficult uh, than right. the sending. So you you, you want to spend your time listening, you know, tuning in, and that's one cool thing. W1AW puts out those uh, the bulletins every day, and so if right. a person wants to. Well, and you can get hooked on that. Now, I mean, I'll tell you, you can get really hooked. I know. I was hooked on it for about two years. <laughs> listening that, to W1AW. That, that's a good way to learn it, though. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, that, and it's a good way to keep up your CW skills. I'll sit here from at times, and I'll sit and copy the the AWRL bulletins. And, you know, it, it's good practice. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We're just about out of time. And uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. I'm, I'm sorry for the tirade earlier, but I, I every once in a while I get on that soapbox. It's just one of my favorite things to rant about. No uh, problem. Uh, and that is, I, I believe that the hobby, we all should encourage everybody. We all should be nice to everybody. You right. know, The hobby is not the place that if you are full of hostility and venom, this is not go away. Don't even come around to amateur radio. Go go do your stuff somewhere else. I mean, you know, this is not the place for folks that have pent up hostilities to get on the air and get around other people and right. and just make life miserable. Or or for if for some reason you have the desire to control other people, don't bring it to ham radio. Right, um, exactly. We are here to enjoy this hobby we want to promote the hobby we want to encourage young people old people it doesn't matter really want to get folks into the hobby and the more that are in the hobby the more fun everybody can have and the better the technology will be and uh there's just a whole lot of <coughs> a whole lot of reasons for that and and i and i, I am not like some I, I do believe we very well could lose the hobby i don't think the hobby is is as stable as some folks would like to to make you think it is i believe you're right uh so i mean it's uh it could be a come or go thing and i i think we we just need to do our part that's all just just need to do our part well thank you bobby for being on i really appreciate it and uh so folks if you think the bands are dead and you can't make cw contacts or you can't make dx contacts Here's the man that, <laughs> he, he's doing it all with a TW2010 and an ICOM 718. He's uh, 100 watts of power, and he's working the world and having a lot of fun doing it. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of QSO. 
want to invite you to check us out on Facebook. Go up to Facebook and put in QSO Radio Show and uh, become our friend. We'd like to hear from you. Once again, stay tuned Thursday for another QSO and next week, same time, same station for QSO.